if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I am excited about this series as well called Out of the Box. It's about spiritual gifts that God gives. And what I mean by out of the box is beyond your ability, getting beyond your own abilities. Hey, you have a good brain. You have wisdom. You have strength. And you can make a lot of things happen. But there's just some things you can't make happen. There are some things that are beyond you because you work within the realm of the natural. But God is not bound by the laws of nature. He is supernatural. And what he has said to us is, I want to give what I am to you to bless your life at times. And so when I say out of the box, let's get into what he has and out of our box of what we have and see him do great things. Today, I want to talk about three things that are listed here, three gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of healings, and the gift of miracles. It's all in the New Testament. A recent Newsweek poll revealed that 84% of Americans believe in divine miracles. I was kind of surprised that it was that high. I'd imagine it's even a little higher here in this crowd today, the percentage. Often we believe that God wants to do miracles though, but where we start to struggle is when it comes to a miracle that we need. And God has miracles even for you. We have a good God who wants to bless us and he has you in mind. When we were little, we used to travel in a car that my dad bought. I must have been seven years old because I was born in 1960, and the car was a 67 Thunderbird, which really isn't a great family car, but dad really liked driving it, evidently. But when we'd go on a long trip, there were two bucket seats up front and a seat for four of us in the back, and it was kind of a rounded seat, you know, on the corners with those rows of padding that they have and upholstery, and And uh, there were four of us, and when we'd go long distance, I mean four or five hours, and we made those kind of trips on a regular basis in those days, we'd all have to sleep to the left or sleep to the right, and we'd have to wake each other up, you know, we were six, seven, eight, and nine, and say, let's go right, and then we'd sleep right, and then we'd, I'm sore, let's go left, and we'd go left, and in those long trips, we would want dad to stop, and there, it would, it would evoke quite a celebration if we could talk him into stop and getting some goodies. But it seemed that the kids always wanted me, I was the third child, they always wanted me to ask if we could stop and get pop or candy. And I'd always argue with them and say, no, you ask, I always ask. I asked last time, they go, no, you ask, you're good at it. I said, I'm not good at it, I just ask. He'll he'll let you do it too. And sometimes he'd say yes and sometimes he'd say no. But usually it was me who asked. And it was real quiet in the back seat. And I'd say, Dad, can we stop and get some candy? And if he said yes, you'd just hear a celebration in the back. The roars would go up and soon we'd be stopping with Snickers and Pepsi. And it was awesome. You know, it it was just fun. I thought about that and I thought, why was I more willing to ask than the other kids? Well, I know what I thought in my heart. I knew my dad was good. I knew that he liked to bless me, that he had that in his heart. He wants to bless his kids. I knew that quite often there was a history where he had given me or us stuff. So I thought, well, hey, with that history, maybe he'll give again. And I knew ultimately that he had the resources and the power to deliver what I was asking for. He didn't give it to me every time I wanted it. But hey, two out of five, three out of five, that'll keep you coming back, right? Because he, he, he knew how and when to bless us. I mean, if he gave us candy every time we wanted it, I'd have had no teeth by 12 because I wanted it a lot. But in his wisdom, and because he liked to bless us, he would just do it at times. I think of that and I think about the God that you serve. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him Abba Father, which means Daddy God. Do you know how good he is? Do you know how much power and resources he has available? Do you realize how much he loves you? I think when we come to realize those things, we're more willing to ask for him to bring his good gifts and, and, and just usher them into our lives. Here's what it says in John 16, 24. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are powerful. You are loving. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today. Lord, you know our needs and you know how you wanna show yourself in our lives, sometimes just to bless us, other times just to glorify your name. Lord, I pray you'd open our hearts up to receiving all the good gifts you have for us. May this be a church where the gifts function in such a way that people can say, wow, God is really here. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says, there are different types of gifts, but the same spirit. So we're talking about gifts that the spirit of God gives. And the first gift I wanna share with you about today is the gift of faith. Here's a definition for you. This faith is a certainty beyond doubt that is dispersed by the Spirit of God to one of his children, which causes them to believe he's going to bring about miraculous results. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says it, to another faith by the same Spirit, a gift by the Spirit into the lives of believers. Now, there are different kinds of faith in the Bible. This is not saving faith. No one can be saved. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their personal Savior had enough faith to believe in Jesus and ask him to come in their hearts. This is not that kind of faith. That's good faith, but this is different. This is not even general faith that is spoken of in the Bible, the general sense of faith, the kind of faith that God talks about being cultivated into our lives, you know, coming to believe and to trust in him more. Hebrews 11 talks about the faith that can be cultivated. It says, what is faith? It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's evidence of things we cannot yet see. So our trust grows in God. Our faith can grow. That's not this faith either. That's a good faith. That's excellent. We need that. This is a little different though. Like all the other gifts, this faith is apportioned according to the Spirit's will. And it comes into the life of a believer at any moment. I believe this type of faith has been kind of misunderstood a little bit. Because ultimately, the uniqueness about this is you're not even responsible for it. Just like you're not responsible for healing at some times or, or, or you know, a gift of prophecy that the Lord would bring as he lets you uh, be a, a vessel that he flows through. Sometimes he just zaps some faith into our hearts to believe for some things that's, that just comes by his spirit. This is the kind of faith I believe you can have as, a, as a, a calling or a ministry in life as well. Why do some of these men and women have such incredible faith to believe God for things as they go forward? Faith like Noah, for example. Build an ark, no rain, uh, there, there, no flood, hundreds of years of, 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 of working and he had this gift of faith in believing God against incredible odds that there'd be a flood even though there was no evidence, and he built the ark despite the laughter, the mockery, and everything he had to endure from those around him. I believe a gift of faith was apportioned to him. I believe that we were given faith, this kind of faith that God gives to believe for the place we're sitting in today, for the ministry to go forward beyond what we had seen before, for the schools that have risen up to be a great witness to the community. God gives faith. 
listen to this. Uh, this happened, it was written in the Oregonian on November 15, 2001. They published an article entitled Obstacles to Growth. So this is the Oregonian nine years ago. Outlining our vision, and um, um, that would mean horizon, and all the obstacles we had to overcome before we could build. Now, when this article came out, I didn't like it. They came and saw us, and, and we said lots of encouraging, positive things. And the way they chose to spin it was, boy, they're going to have a hard time building that, essentially, is the way it was written. Obstacles to Growth, the title of the article. It went on to say the obstacles were funding, you know, millions of dollars, land-permitting issues, uh, the, the property was outside the urban growth boundary and they talked about, you know, the school would, couldn't come into existence. The fact that a, a, a rural school, rural mean outside the urban growth, must draw students from rural areas. That there were water issues. The city of Tualatin had said that they had no intention of providing us water at the time. And, and here's the thing about it. Every one of those things they mentioned were true, but I just didn't like it because I thought it sounded negative. Steve Glavin, who was our, our development director at the time, uh, was in the office and he said he really liked the article. I heard him say that one day and I said, well, w- what did you like about that, Steve? Tell me. He said, I think that God had him write it that way because he wanted people to know how hard it really was. And when he does it, he's gonna show everybody that it was just him. That really helped me because the, I, ultimately that's what it proved to be, that, he, that, that it was impossible for us to get this done. Remember, 40 acres, we're bigger than the Bridgeport Mall when it comes to land here. And to have the ability to move forward with a church that grows and schools that grow, uh, it, in the Northwest, it just doesn't happen. And all those issues, the water and coming into the urban growth. Let me tell you about the urban growth boundary because we tend to think about the miracles of, as just money and, and, and we think of miracles as people that he brings sometimes too, resources, and that's all incredible. But, but how about the, the, the miracle of coming into the urban growth boundary? We, we, would have only, we would have not been able to have a school of more than 40 or 50 because they'd all had to be students in, with country addresses outside the city. So it wasn't going to happen unless God brought the land into the urban growth boundary. We had raised millions. We had believed by faith we're going forward and we had no assurance of these things. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for but not yet seen. Well, we tried for five years because it was a seven-year process from beginning to, to getting into this building, from the beginning of the Lord put it, the time the Lord put it in our hearts. And we couldn't bring it into the urban growth boundary. We were just weeks away. Do you remember when we met in the tent out here and it was raining? You, we had faith then too because we were doing media and water was underneath our feet. And it, it was nine, 900 people out there in a trenching rain. And... Um, that was just weeks before, and here's what we were celebrating, not only the beginning out there in the tent and what the Lord had done, but though we couldn't bring it into the urban growth boundary, and we even asked God to help us, he'd been working on it for 30 years. Here's the story. For over 30 years, Metro had been reviewing some 3,100 acres that they had designated as land that could possibly come into the urban growth boundary. So for over 30 years, they're researching. Government takes a long time to do that sometimes. Just one month before we wanted to start building, Metro made a decision to bring 300 of those 3,100 acres in, less than 10% of all that had been under review for 30 years, to bring it into the urban growth boundary. And our 40 acres here was part of that 300 acres that they brought into the urban growth boundary. I mean, to think that God started that 30 years ago, and I think it was mainly for us when when he did, and to think that he had done that. Well, it's just incredible to believe that, that, that God gave this, gave this fellowship faith to believe. 
And you know what? We were able to work in a, in a very amiable way with the city and the county and, and it was just wonderful. It took a long time and it was hard, but God was showing that he was in it and that he had done this. Romans 10, 17 so says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Did you know one of the reasons we started is we believe that God wants to build his kingdom. We believe that God wanted to use us and we know that generally from the scriptures. I want to say this about faith. Do not, we're going to talk about miracles and healing. Do not fall prey to the thought or fall victim is a better way to say it to the thought that miracles increase faith because I don't think they do in the body of Christ. Look at the children of Israel. They had miracle after miracle after miracle and they disbelieved. Miracles are, it appears to be, a greater sign as as an evangelistic tool than as a church growth tool. Nevertheless, God does miracles. But, but, But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Your faith will be increased more than miracles can increase it. This book will increase your faith in God and your belief that he can do the miraculous if you'll read it. Pastor Doug has been talking to us about getting into this book on a regular basis and reading it on a daily basis. And you know what? You don't have to have a rising journal or a life journal. Any plan you have as long as you're in the word is good. But get into the word because you'll believe God for more and your faith will release him to do even more in your life. You'll believe him more if you read this. Because you can't help but get excited about all the miraculous things and the Holy Spirit, trust me, the Holy Spirit attends this message. And when you read it, faith will jump into your heart because the Holy Spirit is working. Thank God for his word. Thank him for the gift of faith that he will give us at times. You know, another example I see of faith that was given among us is track, Team Reach, Adventure Camps. It was just before you. Mike spoke earlier today. Did you know that sitting here in this congregation one day when Wayne Tesh, who's from Royal Family Kids Camps, Royal Family works with abused, abandoned, and neglected children up until the age of 11, but they they had to be dropped at that point because that was the calling of Royal Family. Someone sitting among us got an interjection of faith by the Holy Spirit to believe that God could use them to do the same thing nationally for kids from the ages of 11 to 14. It happened here. Now, it's crazy for a person who's busy. It was Tim and Serena Howe, a couple. They believed that God could use them to, as part of the, his answer to raising up these camps all across America and across the world. And already, scores of camps have risen up across America and camps are rising up across the world that are teen reach camps. That ministry was birthed from someone right here in our church as the Holy Spirit talked to him one day. Now, how do you have enough faith to believe that you can reach the world for 11 to 14-year-olds that are abused, abandoned, and neglected? God put faith in their hearts to believe for it. And just like he put faith in my heart for some of these things, but he put faith in all of our hearts before it was over because we have to move together, don't we? It's not just one person that makes it happen. God gives the whole body faith. He gave a bunch of people faith, like Mike Gump, their director like the other people that are working for them. That's why I think you really ought to consider grabbing one of those envelopes on the wall on your way out that says track. There's a hundred of them from $1 to $100. And if you'll grab those envelopes, we're, Karen and I are getting one today and, and just mail it in or just give them a check as you go out. You're gonna be building the kingdom of God. I believe God told me a long time ago that, that the ministries that, that come out of this church won't be just for this church. Some of you, in an instant, just like, Today may be the day for one of you to get faith, to believe God for something beyond this place. Some of you will receive 
some faith by the Holy Spirit to do something that goes beyond the walls of this church and touches the world. I really believe that. It's so exciting for me to think that God's going to use you incredible, in incredible ways, not only here and in our community in this church, which I love, but beyond this place in an amazing fashion. Some of you are teenagers today, and God's going to use you in an incredible way. I go by the little church in Dallas, Oregon. We drove by it last week. See this little bitty Pentecostal church where, honestly, it was a weird little church in, in many ways. And to think that somehow, some way, I was affected in that place and some of my peers and we went into ministry. You just never know. I mean, some of these children, some of these youth, you don't know it, but they're gonna rise up to touch the world and you just think they're just a regular old teenager. When the spirit of God gets a hold of somebody, they are world changers because of the faith and the power of God that can move through a pure servant who says yes to wherever God wants to go. Why did God use David to kill the giant? Because only the 15-year-old would have enough faith to see it done. He walked into the camp and saw all those guys mocking God's army. He says, what is this? They're defying the one true God. It took a 15-year-old to say, hey, hey, we need some faith here because God will move if we have it. And he tells the king, I'll go. I'll fight him. The nine-foot-tall, 300-pound giant. The great warrior Goliath. He's not fighting me. He's not fighting us. He's fighting God. Sometimes faith can be given to anybody at any time. And and I'll tell you this. Even though it's a gift that can come by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can still reject it. Because he'll come in a moment and he'll speak something to us. But if we fall back, if we shrink back, he'll just find someone else to, to do his will through. I've missed it before. You've probably missed it before when God was speaking. And yet it's so wonderful when I, when I step up, when he prompts my heart and then see him do something amazing. And I, I hope we become participants as his gifts move through us. Let's talk about the gifts of healings. And I, I wanna mention something here for, for a moment. Balance is important to us at Horizon Community Church. Meaning we, we don't want to go to extremes beyond the safety of the boundaries of the Bible. One example would be Jesus, the Bible says in John 1.14, is full of grace and truth. What wonderful balance there. You've heard me say before, it's like two wings of an airplane. You need grace and you need truth. If you just have grace, you'll spiral out of control. Your life will. Because you'll start to think God will forgive me no matter what I do. He's a God who forgives, which is true, but it's just... It's just a portion of the truth. It's a really good nugget of truth, but it's just a portion. And if you just think about grace, you might just live any old way you want to, say that God's gonna forgive you, move into sinful lifestyles, and and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. If you don't fall away from your faith, you'll at least be badly wounded because the enemy will have a heyday with you. Greasy grace, permissiveness that hurts you and others around you when sin devastates your life. So it's gotta be more than grace. Yes, he forgives, but the Bible says that he's, he's, he's a God of truth as well. And the truth are the boundaries and the protection. And, and that brings wonderful blessing in our lives too. Now, if you just believe in truth and you don't have grace, truth can be like a club that beats people up. Grace will beat you up because the enemy will just hammer you. Truth, sometimes, sadly, believers will get so legalistic that they just pound people about what they're supposed to do and there's no grace involved. 
Well, then people fall away and it devastates faith there as well. You need both grace, the forgiveness of God, and truth, the boundaries that protect to move forward with safety and and power in the future that God would have you to to have. So, So balance is important to us. Now, as I talk about gifts and healings, balance is important here too. I don't mean balance between what you and I think because that's something, but not much. What I mean is balance according to what the word of God says. And so there are extremes that people get into about healing that can, that can bring great damage. Really erroneous doctrines. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit today. But there's this reality that God is gracious and compassionate and that Jesus really does the miraculous and he wants us to seek him for the miraculous. And balance is important to us, so I try to approach this topic with that in mind. Here's a definition for gifts of healing. This is the Holy Spirit manifesting his desire to bring about healing in a body either instantly or over time. It usually is accompanied by the power of, uh, I'm sorry, by the prayer of the one who relays the gift or passes it on to another. There are many places, you know, you might have said over time and you think, well, that's, you know, that it's instant. Well, that's, that's not what the New Testament says every time. Quite often, healings are instant. But the New Testament, there are places where healing is gradual and it's very much what God was doing. One example that that's easy to see is, is um, the story of the 10 lepers. They were healed as they went, the Bible says. They were going from Galilee to Jerusalem and that was two or three days journey. And they were healed over that span of time before they arrived at that city. They were healed. As a matter of fact, this is interesting. I've never heard this in my life, but found it through the study this week. The most frequent term for healing in the New Testament is the Greek word meaning therapy, which occurs 45 times in the New Testament, and it relates to a process of cure. So God heals instantly. I think this can increase faith because sometimes faith can wane if we think, well, it didn't happen right away. Just trust him. Keep trusting. He can do it over time in whatever process that he wants to do it. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 speaks of this gift and it says, to another, gifts of healing by that same spirit. Now, I call this point the gifts of healing because in the Greek, it's plural on both account, gifts and healings. It's gifts of healings which the Holy Spirit provides in his church. Now listen to this. This is, this is the balance portion I'm talking about. Not necessarily healers. I don't believe that, that there's a gift that goes to some of the body of Christ and not to all of the body of Christ called healing. The one who prays does not have the gift of healing. It is the one who is healed that is given the gift of healing. Do you understand that? You're just the delivery boy if you're used for healing. You don't have the gift. God's gift is moving through you. The one who gets the healing got the gift. Makes sense, right? We're just getting the present, passing it on to the recipient. Isn't it wonderful and exciting to think that all of us can be used? Now, you say, well, I know some people, they seem to have more faith and when they pray, there's more healing. I'm not sure I can explain all that, but I believe that too. Whether they have a measure of faith Uh, that's beyond some of us, that cultivated faith that God will use for healing too. But for any one of us at any given moment, the Lord can prompt our hearts and we can be people that these gifts flow through that are the delivery persons for healing coming to another. So when the Spirit prompts you to pray for someone, what have you got to lose? Really, it's not about whether it happens, it's just about being faithful 
and seeing the possibilities that God may use to bring healing into another's life. Any one of us can be used at any moment like this for the supernatural to flow through our lives. Now here's another point of balance. It's true that God does not choose to heal everything. There's an erroneous doctrine that moves around and really it's called several things but profess and possess is is really the essence of what it is. That if I would profess it and speak it, then I will possess it, whether it's riches, uh, whether it's healing, whatever it is. If I, and and the, the cause and effect in their minds is I believe and then it's done. Here's the problem with that doctrine. Here's why it's erroneous. It puts people in control of God instead of God in control of people. You get the difference? You do not tell God what to do. You can lean into some of his promises and you can ask for them and see them in a great way happen in your life. But God controls you as the believer. The Holy Spirit brings these gifts to you to disperse. How does he disperse these gifts? As he wills. The gifts of healings, as he wills. Paul was given a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He couldn't get rid of it. I promise he had more faith than you and I. Two-thirds of the New Testament were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through his life and through a pen in in his hand or through a person that he quoted those things to. Paul advised Timothy to use wine and its medicinal purposes to heal his stomach. He doesn't even ask for healing in that situation. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul suffered from an eye affliction in Galatians 4. Jesus said to the Father when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. What was the cup? The cup was going to the cross and giving his life. Some people who propose this doctrine would say something like, don't pray in, if it's your will. Listen, that, 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 is, a, that is a prayer that's, that's always answered. You don't have to be a, afraid to pray, thy will be done. Jesus said to pray this way. When you pray, the Lord's Prayer, part of it was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The Spirit disperses as He wills. This is a divine thing that He brings for a moment right now. And I like what Michael Green says, what nonsense it would make of Christian virtues like long-suffering, patience, and endurance if instant wholeness were available for all the Christian sick. The point is there are mitigating circumstances in our life. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, but there was a greater purpose that the Father had. Now, now, Jesus did in a general sense want to go, but he wasn't too excited about nails being driven into his hands and his feet. He wasn't too excited about the, the, the sins of the world. The Bible says in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the pain. It wasn't the pain he was excited about. It was the joy before him. He went willingly. He went purposefully, but yet he prayed, not my will, even though he said, let it pass if possible, not my will, but thine be done. So he wasn't delivered from the cross because it, God had a purpose that was far greater, God the Father. And Jesus had a joy set before him and he endured. What I'm saying by that is there are purposes that are beyond us sometimes. Just like my dad wouldn't give me candy every time I ask, you can't use God as a candy man. Because you're just gonna hurt yourself and hurt others if you get everything you want because eventually you'll ask for the wrong things. So that's why we pray his will, not so much because he's confused, but because we get confused at times. So that said, there's, there's some balance there. And I'll tell you why I don't like, I don't like that, that doctrine. It hurts people. It shipwrecks faith. When you say, well, if you had enough faith, 
there was a, a man sitting in the first service, and, and I love him dearly. I'm, I, I met him and talked to him over time, and he eventually came to church when he'd been out of church for a long, long time. He had a little boy who was very sick, and his church and the leaders there made him believe that if he had enough faith, his boy would be healed, and it was his fault that his boy wasn't. That ticks me off. Do you know that the basis that God heals on is the compassionate heart that he has for people? Where is the compassion in that? I mean, if it's faith, why can't it be your faith instead of mine or his? How's that doctrine blame others but won't take responsibility itself? It's erroneous. God heals and God has a will and in Hebrews 11... We see the two sides of faith. It's called the faith chapter. Remember that? The first part of the chapter talks by faith. They believed. They saw miracles and healings, and it was amazing. But the second half of the faith chapter, the other side of the coin, it was the guys who were living by faith when they died. What? How can you live by faith when you died? I'll tell you how. Live like Ron Mel lived. 17 years with the disease, the longest living person ever who lived with that disease that Ron Mel had, that, that leukemia, that form of it, was Ron Mel. They told him, 11, you remember Ron Mel from Beaverton Foursquare? God used him incredibly. He showed us not only how to live for Jesus, he showed us how to die for Christ. And he was a great witness and he had amazing faith. Thousands, scores of thousands have been touched by Ron Mel's life. Died in his mid-50s. Some are living by faith when they die. That is faith. They were sawn in two, the Bible says, and the world was not worthy of them in Hebrews 11. Faith, it's a two-sided coin. Faith to believe it and see it. And the other side, because this is the, the essence of faith, is a trust in God. Not my will, but a trust in God's will. The other side of the coin is faith that believes when you don't see it happen. God called that faith. They did not see what they had hoped for. They were living by faith when they died. And Jesus, God the Father said, the world was not worthy of them. That is faith too. Balance. Now that said, still God makes it obvious in a general sense in the New Testament that he wants us to pray and believe him for healing. It was normative or normal to ask God for healing and then to see it happen in the New Testament. And it wasn't just for the apostles. We know it talks about elders praying too in the New Testament church and elders are, are those that teach the word. They're, they're pastors and sometimes they're volunteers but they've been brought forward as leaders and it says this in James 5.14, are there any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And their prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will make them well. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. So we see here that God wants us to believe him, to trust him, and to ask him today as well. Here's a great example of an amazing healing that's taken place uh, in one of our friends' lives. Monty Williams has kids in the school here and... Um, He's the assistant coach for the Portland Trailblazers. He's a man of God. Really, just, I just love him. He's got such a great heart. Uh, let me tell you part of his story. You know, the Blazers are playing at 7.30 tonight against the Phoenix Suns, minus Brandon Roy, who needs healing. Um, 
But listen to this story about Monty, one of the assistant coaches. He graduated from high school as an All-American basketball player. He went to Notre Dame to play under uh, the legend coach Digger Phelps. And during his sophomore year, following the sudden death of a college athlete named Hank Gathers, uh, who had heart trouble and died on the floor, all colleges were on alert and were checking their own athletes for heart problems because it sent a scare through the ranks. Test on Monty revealed hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or HCM, a disease in which a portion of the heart muscle is thickened and HCM is the leading cause of this sudden cardiac death, same, same death that caused uh, disease that caused Hank Gathers to die. So because of this, when they discovered it in Monty's heart, even though he'd been out there playing, they knew he could die at any moment. Notre Dame did. They didn't want the liability. They weren't willing to take the risk. So they stopped Monty from playing basketball and they wouldn't even allow him in the gym anymore. He was banned. Well, you can imagine one of the great players in the nation at the time, how devastated he was. He continued to pray and seek God for his healing. Two years later, he went to the national, now listen, don't let that fly by, two years he prayed. Two years without playing, stopped his career. But he went to the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland, where he again got tested. And this time, following much prayer in that two years, the doctors were amazed that Monty's test came out completely normal. They couldn't explain it. They had all the tests from many times before, but, his, but this disease was gone. He was allowed to return to play college basketball. He was drafted in the first round of the NBA, NBA the 24th pick by the New York Knicks. Later, he returned to Bethesda again for follow-up tests. The doctors performed the test and they told him that they couldn't believe it. He had the strongest heart that they'd ever seen. Open your heart to how good, how loving, how wonderful he is and how these gifts can flow into you and even through you to others. He's a good God. Ask him to do good things because he cares. Trust him when you don't see it immediately. And thank him for all the good things around you. This is not something that's just for elders to pray for, though, because in James 5.16, it says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Now we're beyond the elders, pastors, uh, leaders of the church. Each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Thank God that he has healing power for us today. Thirdly, I want to talk to you about the gift of miracles. Now, healings are miracles, but all not, not all miracles are healings. So here's a good definition. A miracle is a supernatural event that happens by the divine power of God. It defies the laws of nature. It's a miracle when the Red Sea was parted. For example, 1 Corinthians 12.10 talks about this gift to another miraculous powers. So miracles are available even for us today as the Holy Spirit interjects them into our heart and lives. I want to talk to you about a term I like. Um, and it, it's an old school term, but I think it's just, it's just cool. I like it. I like the humility that's attached to this, but I like the belief that's attached to it as well. I think it's great to be humble and still believe instead of be, you know, being prideful and believing. Uh, it, it, it messes everything up. 
But I like a term that the old saints would use that, that, that knew how to move in these things of God. They'd say something like this, I feel led to. And I felt led to. I feel like the Lord has given me something I should share with you. I feel like the Spirit of God is saying that, that I should pray. I just feel led to do that. Now, here's why I like that. Because when you say I feel, there's, there's humility that understands I might not get everything right, but I just can't let this opportunity pass. And then they have enough courage to believe that the Lord is leading them so they don't want to miss it, and then they go ahead and pray so that some great things can happen. I just like that term, I felt led to, I feel led to. I can't tell you how many people have blessed my life when they felt led to share something with me. Well, it is my belief that God wants to use us, it might be better to say use you in these gifts, but we are most often held back by our fear of making a mistake. And you know what, I can appreciate that. You heard me tell a story where I had a little fear of making a mistake last week, but I, but I fought through it and God blessed someone. But on the other hand, even though I can appreciate you don't wanna make a mistake, on the other hand, you might be keeping yourself from some remarkable joy that would take place if you venture out. The joy comes from knowing that God would use you in these gifts to bless another person's life. I mean, that is an incredible feeling. That is an incredible rush to know that even though I'm not the gift, that somehow he used me to bring his compassion and power into someone's life. That is a cool feeling. He's alive. He's moving. He's breathing. He's among us. He's working in my life. He's working in your life. That is a great feeling. Fear has an interesting effect. If you let fear of making a mistake stop you, you'll never be able to function in the gifts. You'll never be able to see these things happen because you just won't venture out. And we can, we can say no to God. We can. I've told this story before, but I like to talk about it when, when I talk about fear because it, it just explains the result of fear. Fear will paralyze you. I was um, a college student at George Fox coming home just 40 minutes away to Dallas, Oregon. George Fox is in Newburgh. My parents lived in a condo there all by themselves and I would just appear from time to time on my own without calling. No cell phones in those days. That's how old I am. And um, as I walked in, I had my own key and I looked down the hall. My mom was all the way down in the kitchen and she was sewing facing me. And I said, hi, mom. And she didn't hear because the machine was going. So I shut the door and I don't know why, but I got this fun thought and I dropped to my belly and every time she would run that sewing machine she'd put her foot on that pedal and you'd hear the noise and the rumble I would move like G.I. Joe on the floor down the hallway about 10 minutes later it took a long time I found myself weaving through the chairs underneath the table when that machine was on and suddenly I'm completely right under her feet under the table she thinks she's all locked up and safe in the house and I think what can I do to be creative here so when she took her foot off the pedal, I, the first thing I did was just move the pedal. And her foot did this. She found it and slid it over, said, I thought that was weird later, you know. She started sewing again. She took her foot off. It was quiet. I moved the pedal. This time I put my hand where the pedal had been. And when she put her foot into my hand, all I did was squeeze real hard and go, Aah! Well, my mom's a fear fearful sort already. I mean, she's a little jittery to start with. She jumped up, it's, and she said later, it was like one of those dreams. I was trying to run, but I couldn't move. 
Here's what she did. She jumped up and went, ah! like that. And then she started screaming, stop it, stop it. And I hit my head trying to get out from under the table. I thought, my goodness, I've killed my mother. She's going to die of a heart attack. And then I said, mom, it's me. And she kept going, stop, stop it. And I said, I'm not doing anything anymore. I was, it was just for fun. Fear completely paralyzed her. Now, fear will paralyze you and stop the moving of the Holy Spirit through you as well. You can't run and not be weary. You can't walk and not faint because you just decided you can't move because you're too afraid. Here's, you know, that thought I feel led to. Here's some scriptural support. Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. It certainly is implied that when we are children of God, the Spirit of God will lead us. Now, I, I really want us to walk in humility. I do not like these cocky, charismatic Pentecostal, and I'm one of them, that's, that's charismatic Pentecostal, but I, I don't want to be cocky. I don't like that cocky thing. It doesn't work with the Spirit of God. There has to be humility. If there's a heart to be seen and to play with these things. I mean, I see public displays of, you know, you pray and he falls down, pick him up. And you pray and he falls down, pick him up. Pick him up. Why do we have to pick him up? Leave him down there. What are we doing? We're just, we're playing with these things. I don't want to knock anybody or make anybody feel bad, but I'm saying it works best when we feel the prompting of the Spirit, we try to follow through, we carry a heart of humility and it never stops the gifts from moving. When humility is attached, it releases them in even a greater way. So what's it mean for you when that prompting comes to pray for someone? See, there's a prompting now. It's a phone. It'll be just like that. A prompting will come. The Spirit of God will speak something to your heart. And here's how you know. What could be wrong with praying for someone? I mean, how bad can that really be? What could be wrong with giving that encouraging word? I'll talk more about words of prophecy next week. But it's so amazing when the gifts moves because we know God's alive and he knows where I'm at. And when these things are released, there's, there's great joy in the life of those who receive in, the, in our lives. I want to read a story to you of a lady who overcame her fear. She felt led. Now there's a lady who's receiving a gift here, but there's also a lady who's getting a lot of blessing because she fought through her fears and saw God move. This is a story written by a lady named Lois Spoon. She wrote it for Today's Christian Magazine and in October of 1999. And here's the story Lois wrote. She said, time was running out. I needed $153.27, exactly, by 2 p.m. And it was already 1.30. I was confident that God would meet my need for this amount when the time came, but this was cutting it awfully close. I sat in my car outside a restaurant where I had just eaten lunch with several ladies from my church. When it came time to pay for the meal, I picked up the tab of a guest missionary from Romania using my last $20. I think that was a good idea. After all, if you need 153 and you don't have it, you might as well just give it all away to God and his kingdom. God will provide my need, I said confidently to myself. But my certainty began to waver as the breeze blew through my car windows. No one else knew about my dilemma. What should I do? Key still clutching my hand. I laid my head back against the headrest and thought of the verse in Matthew 17, 27 that tells how Jesus' disciples needed money to pay their taxes. 
He told them to go out on the lake and the first fish they caught would have a coin in its mouth and that would cover the amount they needed. We'd need more than a coin today to cover it, wouldn't we? But a miracle took place and she said, Dear Lord, I need a fish soon. Please show me somewhere to find the lake. There was no doubt in my mind that God had provided the opportunity I'd been given to fly to Indianapolis with a physical therapist friend. We were to attend a workshop on lymphedema, open only to doctors and physical therapists. I was neither. But I suffered, she says, from a condition that caused tremendous swelling in my arm, a result of surgery for cancer. Because my physical therapist knew of the greatest interest I had in the subject, she arranged for me to attend with her. On top of that, every expense would be paid except for my plane fare, which was $153.27. I eagerly accepted her invitation and started asking God to help provide the money so I could go. I knew from the start it would take a miracle because our budget was stretched so tight it could not go toward medical bills. Uh, It had to, rather, go towards medical bills when I was fighting cancer. But it wasn't hard for me to believe in miracles because God had helped me with the cancer. I was living proof of miracles. She says, I was to meet my friend in a half an hour at the travel agency to pay for and pick up that plane ticket. I glanced in my rearview mirror, saw a black, small sports car back out, then pull back into its parking space. As I watched it back out again, I recognized the driver was Beverly Easton, a lady from my luncheon group. I wondered if she was having car trouble when she slowly drove out of the parking lot, circled the restaurant, and pulled back in again. This time she stopped in the middle of that lot, got out, and walked toward my car. Maybe she thinks I'm having car trouble. Beverly stuck her head through my open passenger window. I know you don't know me well, and I hope you don't think I'm crazy, she said. I'm so embarrassed. Please don't be offended by this. My curiosity was stirred. What's the matter, Beverly? Well, she hesitated. Several months ago, God told me to put change into an envelope for you. I've just carried it around and been adding to it every day until I got the nerve to give it to you. I hope this isn't insulting. Her face flamed red as she tossed a bulging envelope into the car seat. I just have to obey God, she mumbled, darting to her car before I could respond. Makeup smudges and ink smears covered that once white envelope that sat on my car seat. My name was scribbled in big letters and there was a card inside explaining that she wasn't sure why but God had told her to give me this money. It was dated several months earlier. With tears in my eyes, I carefully emptied the contents rather out on the seat and started counting. There were bills of all denominations and lots of change and to my amazement, that envelope contained exactly $153.27. Isn't it cool to see how God will work among us? I mean, isn't that faith building? I promise you, Beverly eventually got the story from her friend, Lois. It's so great to see God use us to bless others' lives. And when we have the willingness to say, Lord, I'm available for you to use, lead me by your spirit that I might bless others. When we open our hearts to eagerly desire the gifts, not apart from the truth of the word and balance with the word. The word without the spirit and we dry up. The spirit without the word 
and we blow up. The Spirit and the Word and we grow up. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God. And that's the atmosphere where the gifts move is when it's all His. Who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Bottom line, your daddy's good. He has wonderful gifts that he wants to pour in you and through you. We need to ask him. We need to open our hearts and we'll see more of the blessings that flow to our lives and the lives of others.